burnout symptoms and just major depression symptoms. And once that was diagnosed, it took quite some time. I had to have a major surgery and take quite a bit of time off of my residency. I would say that the time leading up to the diagnosis was full of a lot of conflict and strife in our relationship. Um, but we took it day by day and kept on our open communication and honest communication that we had adopted over the years prior, embracing that challenge aspect like we did early on, going on climbing trips, going on road trips and slow travel. And then once I was diagnosed, it was more of a kind of a, a cathartic release where we both figured out like, oh, this makes so much sense. And then we were able to grow together and move on and realize that we were so much stronger because we had weathered that storm. Hola, sweet friends. Welcome to Medicine, Marriage, and Money podcast, the only podcast for physicians who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a certified life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome. Bienvenidos. Please help me welcome our guest on today's episode of Medicine, Marriage, and Money, Dr. Dawn Baker. Dr. Dawn Baker is a writer, a speaker, a lifestyle design coach behind Practice Balance. She also helps physicians and other professionals step off the treadmill of achievement, rediscover their true selves, and cultivate a practice of balance that is right for them. Dawn is a cancer and infertility survivor who lives on her own blend of work and life by homesteading with her family on their Alpine mountain property, enjoying cities and beaches during the cold months, and traveling as locum tenens anesthesiologist in between. She is an active member of the Physician Coaching Alliance, and her work has been featured by such leaders as the White Coat Investor, Physician on Fire, Become Brave Enough, Kevin MD, and MedPage today. Her other interests include homeschooling, fitness, travel, and all things personal development. Dawn is the loving wife of 23 years to her husband Trent, an intellectual property attorney, and the supportive mother to a 13-year-old dog and a six-year-old daughter. So welcome, Dawn. Thank you so much for coming on my show. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. It is so fun to be here. Yay! Okay, so first off, first off, I'm just going get, to get, get the hard, hardest question I have for you over with. What is your definition of marital interdependence? I would say that my husband and I are very dependent on each other, and yet we still have a lot of things that we do that are separate. We are very self-aware on our own, but then we're very aware as a couple. So that would be my definition. We've grown together quite a bit and we really thrive being more together than apart, but we also have very separate disparate interests that we keep cultivating as we go along. Okay. Yeah. And it's been 23 years. So bring us back 23 years or even maybe before that. How did you guys meet and why did you fall in love? 
We met when we were both 18 years old. It was so long ago now. We were in a college orientation class together, and we both had yeah, we both had engineering specialties um, or majors that we were intending to pursue. He was doing electrical and optical engineering, and I was doing chemical engineering. So we had a couple of classes together, and we started seeing each other in those classes. One of them was one of those really huge classes that you take in a hallway with like 100 people. So it's kind of hard to get to know someone in one of those. But one of them was a smaller class that was kind of an intro to engineering. And you form different teams where you would make things like a paper clip sled or a water wheel, um, different kind of like engineering apparatuses. And we were on opposing competing teams. And I remember that my team won one time and he came up and congratulated me in a really kind of sarcastic way because he obviously doesn't like losing. And uh, <laughs> that was kind of how we started talking. Oh my gosh. And so what was it about him that you fell in love with? Well, I'm six foot one and he's really tall. So one thing was physically, I was very attracted to him because he's six, six. He is a very athletic looking person, but I loved that he was in the same classes as I was and was interested in intellectual pursuits. So he seemed to me to have that kind of whole package that I was looking for. The whole package. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's amazing because, yeah, that's hard to find, um, especially somebody so smart. And, and so what kind of outdoor, do you guys do outdoor adventure type stuff together? Yeah. When we started dating, we initially didn't really go out on any kind of sporting dates or anything, but he was really into volleyball and had had a history of rock climbing, um, just going with his dad and a couple of other friends. So on one date, he took me rock climbing and it was exhilarating and different. And I had never done anything like it. I had never actually done any kind of sports when I was in high school, despite being tall and being recruited for sports. So I was very interested in this world that I didn't know anything about. We started going to the local climbing gym in our college town. And from there, we never really looked back. We grew into climbers and explorers and took so many trips as a young couple that really shaped our relationship. Because one of the things when I was preparing to talk to you that I asked my husband was, what do you think makes us have success in our relationship? Was he said going through challenges together, doing those early rock climbing trips, taking road trips or trips internationally where we didn't really know what we were going to do. And there was a lot of uncertainty and kind of sleeping in foreign places and stuff like that. So I think that really shaped and helped us to form success early on. That is such a good point, right? Because, okay, so if you face challenges really early on together, then whatever you face in the future kind of seems like you already know how to communicate. So you first met we, before you were a doctor, before he was a lawyer. And then how did that, because he does have those skills, you know, he likes winning, as you mentioned before, with um, your little paperclip, what was it, your paperclip boat or... Yeah. Um, tell me, so how did that play into going on these challenges, either rock climbing, foreign staying, going into foreign countries? Did that kind of stuff, what did that look like for you guys? 
So I would say that rock climbing together, um, you really have to trust the other person, as you can imagine, right? The person that when you're going up the wall, the other person is um, belaying you and keeping you from falling and keeping you on the rope and keeping it tight and things like that. So there's a lot of important communication there. There's um, communication early on that we had to work through for just someone learning how to do athletic things and learning how to use their body in that way. That was me. Um, I just really had no body awareness in an athletic sense. And then him having more of an advanced um, kind of ability there was difficult Mm -hmm. because early on I would compare myself with him, even though there's no reason to compare myself with him. Um, And then also you can imagine that physically um, and also traveling and navigating challenges, you're going to have some conflict when you talk with another person. And one thing that was difficult for me was that as I was growing up, my parents never really showed conflict to us. And so I had this view in my mind that a successful relationship meant no fighting. And having those early challenges, I think, helped me to accept that that is not the case for every relationship. Successful relationships can have conflict that's out in the open and have these kind of conversations that are real and raw and not what I had experienced as like a teenager or a young child. You think your parents just hid those from you or they were they just like really well, didn't have much conflict? I think there's probably some element of both of those things. I don't think that my parents really were as embracing of challenge as we were as a young couple. They definitely had their challenges and I'm sure they had their conflicts, but I do think that they hid them from me and my sister. Mm, okay. Going into medicine, you know, because you you met at orientation in college and then you guys each took different turns as far as law school, medical school. Did you guys take that journey together and were there hard decisions along the way that you had to make, like living apart or or was it just kind of smooth? You each decided to go on that path and that's what you knew and you were together the whole time. It was definitely not smooth. When we were toward the end of our undergraduate Um, degrees, which we were finishing pretty close to each other. Um, I took a job in a different city and we figured that it would be okay to try this long distance relationship. I would say that that was difficult on us. He wasn't done for another six months with his undergraduate degree. And then he decided to go to law school in a different location. And there were a lot of reasons. There was a good scholarship involved. And I understood that. But then at some point we had to we came to a crossroads and had to make the decision of, are we going to proceed with this relationship or are we going to go our separate ways? And so I quit that engineering job that I had taken a hundred miles away in a different city and moved back with him and went to graduate school and waited while he performed his law school and finished that. And then I went to medical school afterwards. Now that isn't really applicable to every single couple, but I do think that it helped us financially because we took turns and the other person was able to make a little bit of money while one of us was going to school. Oh, wow. Okay, so you knew you were going to medical school, but you intentionally just waited so you guys could each take turns 
being at the school in the city so that you wouldn't have to be apart? Well, when I was an engineer, I was thinking about the medical school path, but I wasn't fully set on it. So waiting and taking a um, time to do a master's degree and do some research and also fill in my post-baccalaureate stuff that was prerequisite for medical school made sense at the time. And intermixed in there between law school and him getting another job and us moving to a different city where I eventually did go to medical school, we traveled again. So we kind of had this long period peppered by uh, or a long period of schooling where we took turns, but then peppered with uh, trips that we also took together and spent rest time. And that was really special. I think that that was important for us growing together as well. Okay. And then how did he handle you going through residency? I mean, anesthesiology residency is not easy. And plus, he's already a lawyer at this point. So he's probably gotten really good at arguing. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to win an argument with him for sure, because he's very logical and um, always has a way to spin things. Um, I have learned how to deal with that and then pick my battles over the years. Um, but I will, I will say that probably one of our most, our, our biggest challenges was that residency period. And there are a lot of reasons that it was challenging. Medical school was okay, although I would say that when he started getting into his big firm job as a lawyer straight out of school, he wasn't as excited about it as he had hoped he would be. Like some of us in medicine have that realization too when we finish our residency and then you go into the attending job and you're like, oh, is this all there is? Hmm. Well, the hours aren't actually better and that kind of thing. He was having that realization while I was going through the beginning of medical school, which was really exciting and fun and novel. So we took turns where one person feels a little burned out and the other person feels excited. And then it flipped. When I was in residency, he started his own law firm, practiced law on his own terms, and basically was a real maverick in the work from home atmosphere that a lot of people are embracing now. He was doing that early on in the mid-2000s and loved it and was exhilarated. But then I was breaking down and burning out in residency. Now, all this got complicated by the fact that my burnout, um, I wouldn't say it manifested, but it was masked um, by the fact that I had a full-blown illness. I ended up um, having, long story short, a large pituitary adenoma that was causing a lot of problems in my reproductive system, which we found out on a fertility workup when we were thinking about if we were going to have children, um, and then also burnout symptoms and just major depression symptoms. And once that was diagnosed, it took quite some time. I had to have a major surgery and take quite a bit of time off of my residency. I would say that the time leading up to the diagnosis was full of a lot of conflict and strife in our relationship. Um, but we took it day by day and kept on our open communication and honest communication that we had adopted over the years prior, embracing that challenge aspect like we did early on, going on climbing trips, going on road trips and slow travel. And then once I was diagnosed, it was more of a kind of a, a cathartic release where 
we both figured out like, oh, this makes so much sense. And then we were able to grow together and move on and realize that we were so much stronger because we had weathered that storm. Wow. So how long do you think it took them to diagnose? I mean, how long were you having symptoms of this pituitary tumor? I had lost my menstrual cycle when I was an intern and I didn't really pay much attention to it because I figured that it was stress induced. And about a year after that, so I was in my PGY2, I started looking into having a child because I was approaching my mid thirties and we had never really decided if we were going to have children or not, being that we had had that adventurous lifestyle of traveling and climbing. And we knew a lot of people that didn't have kids, but we knew people who did. Once our siblings started having children and they're younger than we are, and we started um, meeting our nieces and nephews, we realized that this was something we wanted to work into our lives. So I went and initially had a workup and was found to have uh, very aberrant reproductive hormones. And so that initiated a diagnostic odyssey that basically took probably about a year um, before we figured out what was really wrong. Wow. Okay. So yeah, they did the labs and they found that, but then like, did they, did they have to eventually probably get an MR scan, right? An MR. Yes. That, that is what ended up happening. um, That led to the real diagnosis. And it was initially Um, suggested to me to get an MRI, but I put it off myself because I was really busy. I also didn't really think that it was going to show much. And I wasn't very, uh, I I just wasn't very in tune with my own self-care. And so this was a big lesson that I learned also throughout my residency. When I had this health scare, I really learned the value of self-awareness. And I feel like my husband had a lot of self-awareness from the get-go. He really has always known who he is, has always known what his values are, what he wants in life. But I was kind of playing into the, um, to be a good doctor, I need to do this. To be a good resident, I need to travel on this path. I need to go and do this big fellowship. I need to impress these people and those kind of things. And I was really ignoring a lot of things that were happening in my body. In fact, I was going blind during this process, and I did not even realize it until they sent me after my MRI for visual field testing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, I remember you talking about that because you and I were just at a conference, White Coat Investor Conference last week, and you said pickleball was exhausting for you because you, you how, how much field of view you cannot see out of one of your eyes, your peripheral vision is slightly um, diminished. Yes, it is. And um, initially, before I had my surgery, I had bitemporal hemianopsia, just the classic board question um, that you hear about in medical school or in residency. But after my surgery, because it was such a large tumor and it was wrapped around my optic nerve, I did, I do have a, a stripe of peripheral vision in one eye that is just missing all the time. It's kind of left lower quadrant of my left eye. Okay. So the other eye, they were able to, the, removing the tumor helped. Yes. I can't even imagine. So, I mean, I guess if it happens so slowly over time, you just start, it's just part of your normal day. So you didn't notice it until they did like visual testing. <laughs> yes. It's so funny. Once they pointed it out to me and they showed me the map, 
that's when I started noticing <laughs> that I didn't have the vision. And then so many things made sense about how I was struggling to do procedures with ultrasound and look at a patient's neck and then look up at an ultrasound screen um, it, when placing a central line or a peripheral nerve block or things of that nature. Oh my gosh, this just, just this magnifies the importance of self-care for physicians. And I think we, you know, we beat that home so much that people are probably tired of hearing about it, but it still happens. Like I can say that I was supposed to get a, you know, a knee x-ray two years ago at the beginning of COVID. And I'm like, I don't have time for this. Like I've got two kids and now I'm pregnant and now, you know, that then I was pregnant and then, yeah, it's like, of course, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about, about anything with my knee besides my hyperflexibility and osteoarthritis already at my my age. Oh my gosh, how old am I? <laughs> but yeah, I, don't mean, I get it. Like you, you had a tumor in your brain, and you're just like, no, I've got this. There's nothing. It'll be normal. You know, that's not my problem. And it just shows you that even though we're we're physicians and we see this this kind of stuff all the time, we have no idea how to doctor ourselves. And sometimes we're so focused on our own path and our own goals that we really don't don't care about ourselves. I am too. Um, I mean, I'm glad that it all kind of came to fruition and, and I, I really am grateful for this happening to me. I mean, it, you know, I would not wish a cancer diagnosis on anyone, but for a cancer to have happened to you, this one was a treatable, resectable cancer, a benign cancer that I have to have surveillance testing for, but, um, is not something that is too hard to manage in my life after the diagnosis. Now, I do not have pituitary function, so I was left with permanent infertility. And um, I, in order to build my family, I had to do um, quite a bit of infertility treatment, and that presented another challenge in our relationship uh, to, to face. But we had a history of being able to weather these challenges and then also just a value system as a couple of embracing challenge, I would say. And how do you think, like, were there any special things you guys did in order to get through that? Or what? how did that challenge present itself, your infertility? Because I know you went through, how long was that? Three years, right? Three years you were trying to get pregnant? Yes, once I was stabilized um, after the removal of my tumor and then finished my residency, got my first job out of residency, that was when we decided to go ahead and start pursuing infertility treatments. I really needed to focus on myself for a little bit of time. And once I felt stable and felt healthy enough, that was when we started that. Now, I would say that um, the key for us was being very open and honest in our communication, again, continuing with that, having the real conversations, deciding at different intervals how far we were willing to go with our infertility treatments and just keeping that conversation going, but at the same time, working on ourselves separately, which gets to what you were talking about in the beginning of this conversation, which was the interdependence. We still both went down paths where we tried to work on ourselves, cultivate mindfulness, speak with other people, um, have counselors, coaches, and ways that we could just continue to be well as an individual, and then the communication as a couple. 
Now that is really very fortunate that you have a husband who's willing to work on his own personal growth, right? While you're working on yours. Because I would say that a lot of my clients or people I've worked with before in their marriages, that is not the case. Like they're the ones working on personal development, um, you know, hiring a coach and their husband or their spouse just has no interest in, in that or they haven't come to that realization yet. You know, how do you speak to that? I think different people have different personalities and he has a personality such that he was interested in personal development and interested in understanding himself at a deeper level than some other men. Um, why? I'm not really sure. But he was one of the people who introduced me to personal development literature early on. Like I had never read any sort of books on that subject. And I remember in college him reading all sorts of nonfiction books and then being like, hey, you need to check this out. I remember a long time ago, and this is old school, but we read Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus together. Um, this is like in the 90s. Uh, another thing that we have done, which was really eye-opening to me, and it seems very simplistic, but I would say that it was really helpful, was that we both took the uh, five love languages assessment. It's a free assessment. Um, and again, it's simplistic. It's, it's not going to tell you everything, but his love language was very eye-opening to me because I was not surprised that mine is words of affirmation. You're familiar with this assessment? I oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Um, his was acts of service. And once I heard that, I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense because he would always ask me to do little dumb stuff that I was like, why are you asking me to do this? <laughs> Just like getting him a drink or something. And I'd be like, no, go get your own drink. <laughs> and now I realize that that was kind of his way of um, showing love. And it was interesting or and also of receiving love because when I was sick with my tumor and was in the hospital, he would leave to go home and take care of our dog. We didn't have any children at the time um, and take care of the house, do the chores, walk our dog. Um, doing things that my parents were around when I was sick and they were like, why is he leaving? What is he going to do? And he would go and make dinner and bring it to the hospital and things like that. Um, so interesting. And I, that was when it clicked for me, like, ah, oh, okay, this is why he does these things. Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean because I like words of affirmation. Um, uh, and Victor's really not a huge we're giving words of affirmation. He does the acts of service, like you're saying. And he's always like leaving at random hours to make sure we have, like he'll go in the middle of the night to go fill the cars up with gas if, or, you know, go super early in the morning before everybody wakes up to go to Home Depot to get supplies for things. And I'm like, why were you gone? Like, I want you there. And I'm also quality time. But he, he needs to make sure everybody's prepared, you know, it, doing all these. But I did, I was doing this. And like we'd get in the arguments, but I was doing this for the family. I was buying the stuff from Home Depot, the shovel things we needed. And I'm like, no, but you weren't there with us in the morning. You know? So it's like we go through these arguments and then you realize that they don't need to be there because we're all on the same team, raising this family, loving each other just in different ways. And I think this so this happens for so many couples. And I recently discovered last night, we were giving a real estate talk, Victor's like, numbers. 
numbers are my love language. And I was like, what? That wasn't in the book. <laughs> that wasn't in the book. I'm like, and after what? I've been married to him for seven, almost eight years. I'm like, that was not in the book. Now I'm going to have to start working numbers into all of our conversations. Well, not, not have to, but now I things click to click for you. Even after eight years, even after so many years, like you learn so many new things because not everything's in the book. Yes. I'm still definitely learning things about my husband, even after 23 years of marriage and a few years even being together before that. It's amazing. And I also learn more and more about myself. Like I realize in reflection, thinking about our relationship and the things that I learned about our relationship, certain common themes are what I now apply to my writing and speaking and coaching for other people because they apply to cultivating your own work-life balance, to navigating challenging things like an infertility journey. And now that I coach people on both of those things, I realize that some of the stuff that Trent taught me, like letting go of my expectations of what something should look like, such as a happy marriage, um, that understanding myself and being very aware of what I want, what I need, what I should be doing to take care of myself specific to me, those things are, are now what I apply when I talk to clients. That's something key you just said about how Trent taught you, right, to let go of what you used to think a happy marriage looked like. Because when we grow up with all these fantasies or delusions and everything, I mean, everything is sort of a delusion, right? But if we're wishing our reality was different or that a happy marriage is not what we have, then we're going to be unhappy for the rest of our lives instead of just allow, like accepting the marriage to be as it is and then finding happiness in it or on your own and then bringing it to that marriage. So, Yeah, and you can see how it applies to uh, having a job in medicine and how sometimes you need to let go of exactly what you expect it to look like. Or in the infertility space, having a family by a certain age or that I need to have this number of children or my children need to be born by the time I'm, you know, 35 or something like that. You need to let go and just follow your own path and just don't look back. Don't expect that you're going to be like everybody else and don't listen to the haters basically. Yeah. No, exactly. I had, I wrote in, in a Facebook group the other day about how I wanted, I was debating whether to have a fourth child or not, you know, and, um, I got like 200 women commenting, you know, women physician commenting on that post. I mean, it was just like a random post one day I was in the middle of work. I'm like, I'm really having a hard time deciding, oh, I'm just going to post this for fun and see if people have opinions, right? Not that I'm asking for permission, but I thought it would be a fun just to get what other people. And then, um, in that post, I wrote that I was an only child. And so I don't understand why I have this need to have more and more babies. And what is like, how many babies will be enough for me? Um, but to me, as an only child, I loved being an only child. And I still love being an only child because I have all the attention and support from my parents whenever I need it. And it's um, it's just a really special bond I have with my parents, with my mom, particularly growing up. And, and you know, my best friends that I made when I was in the third grade that I will never, never lose because they're like sisters to me. And then some someone re reached out to me personally 
in a DM and said, thank you so much for that post because I have one child, we cannot have any more. Um, and, and that meant so much to me because I've never heard someone say that they loved being an only child. And she just never heard that. So in her mind, you know, like a perfect family was not, did not involve only children. A perfect family meant she'd had to have two or three kids because of what society, you know, shows and a lot of people having multiple kids now. And that's what we see with who we surround ourselves with. So yeah, it just goes to show you, you can't, she, she was kind of at peace just because I made that one statement. Now I didn't need to make that one statement, but I think she decided to kind of change her narrative a little bit about what her perfect family or amazing family, I'm trying not to say perfect anymore, her amazing family could look like, you know, and was going to look like. Absolutely. I think that really shows the power of social media. Social media has a lot of downsides, but being able to see other people's experiences and then question your own, as long as you have that piece of being able to say, how does this challenge my belief that I have in my head or a, a certain kind of a thought that I have about the way that things should look? It goes to show the power of a group of, of coaching, of talking to somebody that is different than you are, and of just, just realizing that there are other ways to do things out there. It does not have to look the way that that perfect picture is in your mind. Just like you said, perfect. What does that even mean? Yeah, exactly. And speaking of perfect, uh, let's talk about your financial situation because I want to know how you and your hubby divide finances in your household and um, just in case m people in my audience want to take tidbits or figure out what's worked for you, what hasn't worked for you. We are kind of a hybrid. I would say that we have some things separate still, but we also pool together our, our big investments. And we disagree on kind of a, a micro level of how to spend some money, discretionary money. I like to spend my money on beauty products or clothes, and he likes to spend his money on tools or gear. And so we'll have little fights about that. And so we do keep separate checking accounts so that we can kind of have our own discretionary spending there. And we've come to a mutual agreement where occasionally one of us will say something to the other person, but we're accepting of listening to them about that. Now, macro level, we're on the same page. We've been putting away much more than we need to live for quite some time. And we reached financial independence in maybe around 2015, 2014, 2015. And <laughs> yeah, that's a good, um, good feeling. Um, and I think it's by being on the same page on the big things like saving versus um, spending more than we need to on certain large things like a house. Like we no, neither one of us ever really wanted a fancy house. Um, we never really were into big investments like a car, you know, fancy cars, things like that. Um, I don't even know that I could call that an investment, but um, we put our... Well, nowadays, <laughs> nowadays you could. Nowadays That's you true. Could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that is true since car car prices are going crazy um, at the time that we record this. But uh, we have one for sale too. We have our, 
our van RV for sale because we upgraded to a different RV. But that's a good example of something that shows our shared values is that we would rather spend our money on a nice high-end RV to travel around the United States in than sink money into a McMansion. We were never really into that. In fact, we've downsized in the spaces that we've lived in over the years. So knowing the, the places that we really want to spend more money, we really like to spend more money on high quality foods, organic foods, organic meats, and then also travel and experiences, and then not spending as much on some of the other things. Um, those are the places that we've always been kind of on the same page. And as far as the investments go, I would say that he mainly handles it with discussion with me. Like I know what's going on, but he is usually the one that's doing it. And he's the one that does all of our taxes being that he is an attorney. Oh, wait, are attorneys good at taxes? I don't know that that's, yeah, that, that's not necessarily (laughs) true. I mean, he's not a tax attorney, but he definitely understands it better than I do. Okay. Cause they probably, he, he can understand that. I know, I know what you mean. Reading some of those, the codes and everything, that's more of a lawyer um, reading material rather than a doctor reading material. <laughs> yes. Even though, even though, you know, if your love language is numbers, then maybe, you know, I guess that can be your reading material too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, so that's awesome. So you're kind of always on the same page with the big things, not necessarily with the small things. So it was never like something that you had to struggle with because you always kind of had your value and travel um, and less so in like um, big car, big, big house, that kind of thing. Yeah, we've always been on the same page with that. And I think that that was really shaped by our early days of the traveling in third world countries, the rock climbing, the seeing people living simply, despite the fact that we went for these careers that tend to have the, the usual kind of bling that are associated with them. We had a background of seeing people living alternative lifestyles. That makes so much sense. Yeah. So this early part of your life, you know, cause a lot of times they say that, you know, the earlier you get married, it's not going to always last or you're young. Oh, I was young and stupid. I was young, but you guys really took life seriously. It sounds like even when you were young going, to see all these things and and it just it goes to show you it can it can go either way you can you can grow apart and you can grow together yeah and it's funny you say serious because i would think that some people might say that we weren't serious because we were traveling and we were goofing off and we weren't taking the jobs straight out of college <laughs> but we were doing the the serious self inquiry yeah Yes. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what's going on inside your relationship and what's what you're learning on your path, except for you. And we have this society place, these external expectations, especially the, the patriarchy who thinks we should, you know, go to school, get an education this way and go work for the man or this job. And, and sometimes when you're just kind of like living life on your own terms, that's not, or, or when you're traveling or that people don't understand that concept, but Really, you were setting up a foundation for who you were and especially your your relationship, how to communicate there. So yeah, nobody knows. That's why ex- ex- seeking external validation and advice and asking other people what to do even when you're young is not always the right thing to do because you have to you have to live your life. Right? Nobody else is going to live your life for you. Yep, definitely agree there. 
what do you what would you like to leave with the audience today don we talked about a lot of stuff about going to law school medical school rock climbing adventuring to other countries um infertility you know uh, surviving cancer what is there anything that you'd like to reiterate or anything we haven't talked about you want to leave with with us today I don't think there's anything that we haven't talked about. I would just say that we as a couple have grown together and at the same time grown ourselves separately. And we took different turns of that deep self-inquiry. I would say sometimes one of us might have been more self-aware than the other. And we were open to the fact that things aren't going to necessarily look exactly the way that the fairy tale looked. And I think that that's the key to having a successful marriage and to understanding that this is all a journey and it's all the way that you frame it in your mind. It's not how other people are viewing, like you said. It's not what my parents thought of our relationship and the, of the things that we were doing early on, which they definitely didn't approve of. It's like you said, it's about um, just navigating things in that moment together. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Baker, for coming on my show today to drop all those pearls of wisdom and your, your stories, your story of your life. Thank you. I'm so happy to have talked with you today, Kate. gosh such an amazing interview with dr don baker i can't even believe how many themes and just love was intertwined in this interview there are so many good take-home points and so i am going to highlight my favorite three number one take different turns and you know this is really it's it's hard to schedule specifically when you guys are on what journey you know you're you're a, as a married couple or as a couple that's together how, it's hard to just say okay now it's my turn you're it's, now it's your turn however if you just realize that life will automatically ebb and flow and he may be in school while you're working or you're going to be in training while they're working and you may be deep in your self-inquiry while he or she is just trying to get survive maybe they're just trying to survive they're trying to take care of the kids they're trying to manage the house they're trying to get to work every day and you are like personal growth over here. Let's read this book. Let's figure out how we can add value into the world. Let's configure out how we can contribute more and grow as humans. Maybe your spouse isn't into that right now. And I think that's okay. I think what Dr. Baker was saying is that life inevitably throws you on different journeys. You're not going to be on the same one as your spouse. So be open to recognizing that you're not going to be walking down the same path together every single day. Your spouse may not care to listen to the podcast that you want them to listen to. They may not care to read the book that's currently changing your life or giving you perspective or helping you become a better parent or helping you become a better wife or husband or spouse. 
So just be open. Be open to the fact that there's different turns at life. They may be climbing the ladder slower. They may be climbing the ladder faster. It's okay to compare because that is natural. But just tell yourself, okay, brain, let's stop comparing. There's no need to compare. It's not about who's getting there the quickest. It's not about who's falling behind. There is no behind. We are exactly where we are meant to be. I am growing. They will be growing exactly how you're supposed to. So instead of wishing that they were on this path with you, personal growth, let's just focus on you and have gratitude for what you have discovered and what you are bringing to the marriage, what you are bringing to the relationship. It's all a journey. Figure out how you can enjoy it. Number two, take your own health seriously. Schedule time for you. Because if you don't, nobody's going to take you by the hand and do it for you. You most likely, if you're listening to this, are adult parents yourself. And your parents are likely not going to drag you to the doctors anymore. Which may be liberating to a certain degree. But if you're skipping your dentist appointments and now all of a sudden have gingivitis as out of control, if you're forgetting your colonoscopy, you know, or if you're not scheduling your mammograms, other people are not going to do that for you. And if you're going blind, if you're literally going blind, like Don Baker was, and you're not even paying attention, imagine the ramifications. So take your health seriously. Self-care is more than just a manicure and pedicure and massage. Self-care can be, well, to some people, self-care can be getting a tattoo. But it can also be making sure you schedule time for yourself to go to all of your appointments that you need to, to do. Schedule time for you. Number three. What other people see doesn't matter. What other people, how other people envision your life, your journey, and your relationship doesn't matter. There may be disapproving eyes. You may be getting comments like, oh, so you're dating him, or he's not good enough for you, or don't you think he's a little bit too good for you, or she, you know, or, you know, there may be people they just, they have no idea they're not in the relationship. The only person who really knows is you. So if you're lying to yourself, okay, go ahead and stop that and come come clear with yourself. But what but don't just listen to what other people say and follow them blindly. That is something that a lot of female physicians do because we're taught, we're groomed to just constantly people please in medicine. We want to please our patients. We want to please our attendings. We want to please the senior residents or the chiefs because that's how we get ahead. And that's how we get, you know, positions at the better places or jobs, you know. But is that really at the end of the day something that's going to matter to you? So you're in this relationship for you for your and for your with your spouse. So delete the outside. 
It's not about external validation. It's about what is inside you. What other people see doesn't matter. And that is it, my friends. I hope you walk away asking yourself, am I up to date on all my preventative healthcare measures? Are there any symptoms or signs I have been ignoring when it comes to my body? When was the last time I saw the dentist? Am I due for a mammogram or colonoscopy? Uh, How can I do one thing for my mental health and for my physical health today? One small thing. And that is it, my friends. Please go follow Dawn Baker. She's Practice Balance, www.practicebalance.com. Her website, she's also on Instagram, Practice Balance. And uh, definitely, if you haven't already joined my Facebook group, Medicine, Marriage, and Money, hop on there. Uh, I mentioned Victor several times in this episode. He has his own community, 39.6 community, where he talks about all things finance. As, as I mentioned, he is a money nerd, a complete number geek. So you can get all the tax code law rules and regulations if you listen to him you uh, figure out how to invest in real estate to maximize your time and your money and i uh, love you guys so much please go spread love and not hate into this world and share this episode who some with somebody who needs to hear these messages particularly the messages dr don baker was so generous with her time today to share with us pay it forward if you can do one thing today to help somebody else it would be sharing this episode with somebody who is on their personal growth journey who is struggling with infertility or major depression or maybe has a cancer diagnosis or is figuring out how to balance work and life and marriage and thank you so much for listening so much love to you and your spouse The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.